1: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining me. Uh, We have an awesome show planned for you today. Royce White and Steve Kim will join me. Uh, We're going to talk about a couple of uh, or one really explosive topic that I think we have to address. We can no longer ignore the conflict going on between American blacks and Jews uh, Royce White and I are going to discuss that, uh, so give me a moment w- with that. And then Steve Kim and I will talk a little bit about uh, who our top five football teams are in the NFL. It's been a weird season. I'm not sure if there's a great team. Last night, the San Francisco 49ers lost to the Minnesota Vikings, uh, really upending things. And then I'm going to end uh, today's show with the fire starter at the end of today's show. And it will be about uh, what we're doing at the blaze. We're we're sending additional ground troops and forces to the information war. Uh, Stick around uh, for my fire starter at the end of tonight's show. It's good. It's important. It's it's hopefully it's going to serve as inspiration for you to join us in this fight as we try to take on big tech. And speaking of big tech. I need to remind you all uh, to help me fight the algorithms that are trying to slow the growth of this show. Uh, this is a continuous, everyday fight. And so, you know, you're sitting there thinking, what are the small things we can do to push back against all the forces aligned against us, those of us with a biblical worldview, those of us with respect for traditional American values? And I don't know if it can get any easier than just helping me and us fight the algorithm uh, on this show. So if you're watching over YouTube, I need you to leave a comment. I need you to hit notifications, make sure you're getting a notification because YouTube will unsubscribe you or cancel your notifications. I, I need you to hit the likes. It's very important that you hit the likes and, and, It's important you get in the chat and you participate and you have a conversation about what we discuss on the show. Today's conversation is going to be very explosive. Uh, Last week, I asked you guys that listen over Apple uh, to help me uh, help us raise our rating back to a 4.9. We did that, but it's vitally important that you continue to give me those five-star ratings. And it's even more important that you take the two to three to four minutes just to write a review on Apple. We need 100 reviews today on Apple and that five-star review to continue to fight the algorithms. Trust me, this little bit that I'm asking, it does make a difference. It does make an impact. Lastly, before I get to Royce and we start talking about a very controversial topic, that's why we call this show Fearless, because we're not afraid to uh, talk about all the real issues and any issue that's on the table. We're not going to avoid it We're going to talk about it here And one of the reasons we're able to do that is because of great sponsors like the Association of Mature American Citizens AMAC This is an AMAC that I'm talking about but there is an organization out there that still backs Obamacare gun control and extreme transgender policies that endanger our children and while they claim to be bipartisan The truth is that last year, 95% of their donations went to Democrats and leftists. That organization is AARP, and it doesn't represent the values of American seniors. Fortunately, there's a conservative alternative, AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, proudly champions Americans' rights to free speech, religious liberty, and the Second Amendment. AMAC is the leading conservative advocacy and benefits organization and defends parents' rights to protect their children. Joining gives you access to special low rates on cell phones and plans, health and wellness products, travel and lodging, vision, dental, and prescription drugs. So join today. Let's send AARP a strong message that they don't represent conservative seniors. Join AMAC today at amac.us slash fearless. That's a-M-A-C dot U-S slash fearless. I'm a lifetime member of AMAC. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. We need to support groups like AMAC if we want to push back and, and, and have a voice in America. Support AMAC. All right, uh, Royce, uh, welcome back to the show. I need you today because... <laughs> We got to talk about this. There, it appears to me from the outside uh, that black America or blacks in the majority seem to be supporting Palestinians and Palestine in this conflict with Israeli Jews. And there's, man, there's layers and layers and layers to this. I don't know if you saw this, Royce, But uh, Dave Chappelle, I believe last night, perhaps, or anyway, I want to read from the Wall Street Journal. Dave Chappelle performing in Boston. I want to read you from the Wall Street Journal. Dave Chappelle criticized Israel's bombing of Gaza at a performance in Boston in which the comedian accused the U.S. of of aiding the slaughter of innocent civilians in the show at TD Garden last Thursday. People reacted in the crowd and told Dave to shut up. Dave responded back emotionally and started criticizing Israel. I mentioned Dave Chappelle because I think he's reflective of a mood and a feeling and a vibe, they say, or whatever, that many American blacks seem to be in support of Palestine and sympathizing with Palestine putting them at odds with Israeli Jews and American Jews. It's across college campuses and in major cities, you're seeing young people, black, white, hyper-educated, whatever, tearing down signs uh, that are showing these Israeli Jewish hostages. It, it, It just seems crystal clear that there is a disconnect between black people and Jews. And this has been bubbling, I think, for many years. And now we're at a point where it's all come to the surface and everybody's out of the closet and has taken their positions. I'm trying to understand it and that's why I wanted to have the conversation with you. And so I'll just start with a simple question. Why are American blacks, Siding
2: with Palestine. Okay, first, let, let me say, um, and I think it's, it's, it's appropriate for people to start here every time this conversation comes comes up. Um, my thoughts and prayers are with all the people affected by this, by this conflict, by war. They're in the Middle East, but anywhere in the world. War is usually... Um, is usually an endeavor of kings and kingmakers, and and political agendas of political elites or or institutions, um, and it's it's very rare that that a populace or that the people are really the 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 perpetrators or or benefactors of of war, and and so to start, I I you know I just say I asked the question, Kiwi Bono, you know who benefits in, in this situation. There's, there's a few answers. There's who benefits right now, right there in the Middle East. There's who benefits here in America. There's who benefits uh, geopolitically all across the world. And all of them should be considered. All of them come into play. Um, right now, here in our own country, we know the mil- the military-industrial complex certainly, certainly benefits. Uh, they benefit, and, and even more so, the uniparty benefits. I know you want to maybe discuss Tom Emmer, and, and that's that's where that comes into play. But um, they're on on the world stage. There's a lot of people who could benefit. Um, China could benefit, certainly if, if Iran backs Hamas and, and Iran um, uh, provokes a war with NATO or the West uh, and, and China could potentially hang them out to dry, which it looks like they may in fact do. And if China hangs Iran out to dry, who ends up getting Iran in the end? Who Who acquires those natural resources? We give Iran as a tributary state to China the same way we gave Afghanistan to China. And people would look at that and say, well, why would America... Engage in a conflict that may surrender such a a natural resource-rich nation to one of their mortal uh, national enemies. Well, uh, you know there are people in our country, there are people in our government who are very pro-China. And now people may look at that whole you know thing I laid out and go, what does this have to do with Palestine and Israel? Everything. It has everything to do with Palestine and Israel. Um, and and the whole, we'll we'll get to that in a moment because the uniparty and Tom Emmer and Biden and the Chinese dark money and the Russians and the Iranians it's all on the bar now I've been saying it for all of those who say oh this is conspiracy theory it's too much it's too deep we're deep in the water now aren't we I mean we're about as deep as you could possibly get now um, I'll answer your question your first question oh. first and then we can we can work from there um, the the Marxists the communists the the intellectual academic uh, from the universities, academics from the universities, uh, this entire leftist BLM movement, they're wave riders. They ride the wave, they ride the, especially the intellectual juice behind the movement. Now the people on the ground are, are more or less brainwashed and they go whichever way the, the mainstream establishment winds blow them. Um, and then they've been a very f- effective with the narrative and co-opting people's genuine gripes with government and establishment and war for many, many years. You could go all the way back to the first anti-war movement in Vietnam. Were those hippies really? Uh, um, um, were those hippies in the in the 60s and 70s really uh, protesting the war on a moral basis, or or did the entire left and Marxist uh, anti-establishment liberal movement in the universities just take? a moment in time and take a conflict and use it to their benefit. They've been doing that this entire time. And so Palestine, for many, represents what, what would seem like the party line on a, 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 white, a white European colonial history. And, and so, you know, it's easy for them to line up with, with, with Palestine. They don't care about the Palestinians. They don't care about the Jews. They don't care about people dying from war. They don't care about any of it. It's all theater, in my opinion.
1: Mm. And so it sounds like you're suggesting that everything has been color coded and, you know, all conflicts, all disagreements are based on some kind of color arrangement that we've all decided on. Yeah. And everybody, the Jewish people are white, the Palestinian people are people of color. And so that's who I'm siding with. Uh, they have to be oppressed because... Uh, most of the Jews that we know and recognize appear to be white. It's a very surface level uh, yes. understanding of actually who Jews are and right. who even Israeli Jews are. Uh, right. It's a very surface level. And so you, you just say we've taken the easy route that we've been led to, and it's really, but, but t- take someone like, and I hate to suggest this but I, I do I do respect Dave Chappelle's intellect mm-hmm. uh to, to some degree why would someone like him and 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 maybe it's just as simple as he's had a lot of beef with Jewish people his lawyers the people in Hollywood and so yeah. he has perhaps some animus towards his own personal dealings with Jews in the entertainment industry and yeah. and that may explain why he's Siding with the Palestinians.
2: Well, first off, I want to say I don't associate Dave Chappelle or Dave Chappelle's opinions with the traditional BLM's position on this conflict. And and number one, I think Dave Chappelle is a great example to bring up because it shows the the lack of coherence in their political stance or in their political narrative. In one sense, uh, they want to be pro-Palestinians, but the Palestinians are for the most part, Sunni Muslim, which reject all fundamental tenets of LGBTQism in their country. That aside, uh, when it was Kanye West talking about this entire you know, black Jewish thing, or it was Kyrie Irving, the same BLM movement called Kanye West anti-Semitic because he supported Trump. So it becomes very clear that the BLMs uh, of the world, the radical left's political position of the world is predicated on national politics, national party politics. And, and so far as that ideology stretches to the far corners of the earth, they'll, they'll try and line up with any issue they can any way they need to to service their, their narrative and their storyline here at home. Uh, Dave Chappelle is not somebody who, who has been um, revered, uh, supported, uh, promoted, uh, propped up by the BLM left mainstream media by any means. And, and now I will say that just because BLM has – fallen on, on Palestine's side doesn't mean that they don't have, that there isn't merit to the claims that are made about this conflict. Those are two separate things. And I, and I want people to understand that your enemies not only will show up to your door, your front door with a gun pointed at your head and announce themselves, they are also many masters of, of the universe, masters of politics and, and nations. They're also very brilliant in being able to identify a crisis in Trojan horse, that crisis. And that's what BLM is trying to do right now with Palestine. The Palestinians, ideologically, and in the, in the BLM radical left in the, in the West here aren't, aren't aligned on any, on any basis other than um, America uh, and the West and, and European uh, colonial history is, is a, a net oppressor of, of black and brown people. And, and that's only half the story. Now, there is some truth to that, definitely. And it, it would be... It would be dishonest not to acknowledge the truth that lies in the narrative. And when the conservative movement cucks for the for the mainstream media by trying to take one side instead of acknowledging where there is merit in those claims, we we empower the left to carry those claims to dumber, unbeknownst people that get their politics with French fries.
1: Royce, I've been, I've, this has been going on now for a little more than two weeks, may, maybe three weeks, I can't remember. I'm in the fog of just like the news cycle and it seems like everything is uh, apocalyptic or cataclysmic, I, I, I don't know. And so I'm a bit of in a fog. But I still, it's like I, what Hamas did was an atrocity. Mm-hmm. I still don't know I still haven't reached a firm conclusion on what the proper reaction is, what America's role in this conflict long term should be. I, 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 I'm look to me, what has happened? We've moved so far away from truth mm-hmm. that it's impossible to spot who's righteous and who's not. No th- doubt. Th- that 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 I just I just feel like I'm in a fog. And and so I wonder if because it does look like, I mean, from the outside, it looks like like black people are supporting Palestine and or public black people are. But I, I think most people, whether black or white, we're just confused. We don't know what yep. to fully believe about virtually anything.
2: Well, well, here's the well, first off. Yes, you're right. Black people, for the most part, are very. Uh, 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 consciously asleep at the wheel when it comes to world politics. And the the world politics as they stand today, let alone the history of the world politics. And we have an entire fake woke leftist uh, academic, uh, you know, university driven mainstream media that tries to inform black people or make them think that they have a firm grasp on history. And usually they just give them some cookie cutter cheat sheet to be able to align themselves when they go through the drive through to get their politics. Um, but, but black people at bottom do have a sound intuition about what's taking place here. They just don't know how to properly identify it. I mean, let's just talk about it. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not shaky at all about what America's role is right now, what it was, what it should be. I'm not shaky in the least bit about it. it it's very clear. Well, number one, do tell number <laughs> one, we're, we're American citizens. And we have a crisis in our own nation, a dire situation here in our own nation, and anybody we would seek to protect on the world stage from any injustice, attack, uh, radicalism, terrorism, whatever you want to call it, we're going to have a tough time doing so if our nation is as weak as it is. And so that, that's first and foremost. We have a, a crisis here that we need to fix, and, and we need to fix it like yesterday. And there's no signs or evidence that we're moving towards fixing it. We're, we're, we're actually doing more of what we've already done to get ourselves in the in the spot we're in, which is connected to I- Israel and Palestine and the Middle East. And what we've done is we've we've allowed ourselves to, to be uh, co-opted and used by British intellectuals. This isn't our deal. The deal with Israel isn't our deal. That was Britain's foreign policy. That was the European intellectual elite, uh, omnisexual wine society's foreign policy. This is the United Nations deal. We adopted it because we were the biggest stick on the playground. We had the biggest gun and biggest military after World War II, and it became our default duty to protect all the nations that would face danger, uh, per the narrative, that would face danger around the world, when really, it's wherever our money is. Wherever our money is, wherever our economic interest is, that's where our military is. That's where our military comes and does its business. Um, and so, you know, you go back to the initial agreement, the, the, the initial two-state agreement between Palestine and Israel, you can see that the, the Palestinians have been uh, restricted into smaller and smaller space. Now, my claim, and again, people who want to say that Israel is legitimate on a biblical basis, this is a popular conservative opinion that God gave this land to the, 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 the Jews um, or Israel, Number one, the, the Zionists and the people who founded the, the state of Israel were not believers in God. They were explicitly atheist and anti-God. You can go read it right in there in their what we call today white papers about Zionism. Zionism was an offshoot of, of Marxism, or you could say Marxism was an offshoot of Zionism, depending on how you want to look at the history. But the Theodore Hegel and, and, and Marx and all these people were part of the same intellectual tradition coming out of Europe. OK, so the, the, the initial inception of Israel is not legitimate on a biblical basis because these people who who um, who fought for it, who, who were a part of its inception, they didn't believe in God. And you can make a strong argument that many of the people who today advocate for Israel's legitimacy don't believe in God. My opinion is that Israel is legitimate on the basis that they fought a war on three fronts for their land and they won that war. They fought a war against three Arab nations, and they won that war. The land is theirs. Since time immemorial, if two men come to a carcass, if two wolves come to a carcass, and both of them want it, and, and you know they have a fight to the death or to, to one submits, uh, the person who wins that battle gets that carcass, and land is no different. So Israel's legitimate on that basis. The question today is, and the rightful question is, what does America have to do with it? What is America's role and what do we have to do with it? I don't think we have anything to do with it, to, to be quite honest, um, other than we seem to have this, this strange uh, belief, this strange belief about our, our responsibility to police the entire world. And they fence it as humanitarianism or they fence it as, as us being good keepers of, of the global society. It's all a scam. QE Bono, who benefits? If we're going to police the world the military-industrial complex benefits. And that's exactly what you're seeing shake out right now in Washington, D.C. This is what Matt Gates warned about just two weeks ago. This is exactly what he warned us about. Without saying. So
1: I, I want to reduce the conversation down and, and make it less big and less global and just talk about what appears to me to be a growing conflict between American blacks and American Jews, that that so I'm going to leave Israel and Palestine out of it, and just say there's conflict. Well, from from Kanye West to Dave Chappelle to Kyrie Irving to mm-hmm. now, when American blacks look out and say, "Oh, there's a conflict in Israel," I, I think all of these things and 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 take me. I'm not in the. Hollywood world anymore. And I'm I'm not a part of that form of the entertainment industry. But but one of the complaints that I think a lot of blacks have is like. Hey, man, uh, Jewish people exercise a lot of control over the entertainment industry. And I think a lot of black people, including entertainers, but even those of us that consume entertainment are like, we don't like our role in the entertainment industry. It's like who, whoever the puppet masters are in the entertainment industry that decided that our role is buffoonish, debaucherous, immoral, perverted, clownish, criminal, that <laughs> that's our role in the entertainment industry. In music, in movies, in television, and it's matriarchal. and And I think perhaps... There's an argument to say inappropriate that we blame Jewish people because I think Jewish people would say, "Why are y'all accepting that role? You you have autonomy. Tyler Perry can make uh, different movies. You, you don't have to just because they cut you the check to put on the big gold chains and gold teeth and uh, dance around and pretend to be a criminal. You don't yeah. have to accept that." And yeah. so anyway, I, I'm just I think that is a lot of people's conflict as it relates to Jewish people. is Look, They feel like yes. they've defined a culture for us that is poison. Absolutely,
2: uh, no, no, we defined the culture, we defined our culture for ourselves. And every man, and that, that, okay. that's, the, that's, that's the beauty about being an American citizen. That's, that's the real fundamental ideal that our founding fathers left us once we got past uh, slavery and, and then segregation and, and racial division and you know that's the real gem of of American ideology is that every American citizen has free will and God given rights. You're you're the master of your own destiny, in much regard, in in much respect. However, there's a flip side to this coin, and and I said yesterday on my podcast, you know, in basketball we said, you know, there's this all these philosophical arguments about. Uh, you know, offense or defense, where does offense begin and defense end? Where does defense begin and offense end? And you'll hear some people say the best defense is a good offense. And you'll hear some people say the best offense is a sound defense and vice versa. Uh, and I bring that up in, in this case because we have a crisis right now in our American philosophy. One, because we let Marxists jack our institution. So most of the intellectualism is, is run by people who are in on the scam. But, but furthermore, we have a real fundamental crisis trying to balance what America was in its inception as a business, as a corporation, and what our, our philosophical and, some would say, spiritual principles and beliefs are. And they use Christians in, right now, even, in this narrative. They're using Christian, this, this is a crisis of Christianity. Because the conservative right, the Protestant right, which is the majority of the, of the, uh, the, the Christians in this country, and and the lukewarm, milquetoast Catholic uh, hierarchy there in Rome, in many respects, corrupt as all get out. Um, they have uh, allowed, uh, they have promoted this 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 idea, uh, you could say, that somewhere in here there was a, there was an uh, an ex, uh, an acceptance of of this radical materialism and consumerism of capitalism, and it became crony capitalism. And so we and so you hear a lot of conservatives and Republicans who wrap themselves in the, rel- the religious right or in Christianity and faith, taking the Lord's name in vain, not swearing on a podcast, but really taking the Lord's name in vain, wrapping yourself in the Bible, wrapping yourself in the faith for illegitimate purposes. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's letting filth come out of your mouth for all those out there who have a problem with my profanity. Um, those people on the right, conservatives, or Republicans, or whoever you want to say. Um, They make an acceptance for greed and all these heresies of of biblical faith when it comes to our economic system, the fundamental underpinnings of our economic system. They make an excuse for it. They make an they make an acceptance, uh, uh, you know, they make an exception for it. And that's a grave, grave issue. So my point is that, yes, black people, we are in control of our own destiny at bottom. But let's talk about the reality of government and institutions as well, because the two are, are not ex- exclusive, right? I mean, we live in a world, we live in a society, there's, a, there's an ecosystem, there's, there's the way the climate works. And I, I'm climate, climate uh, change is a scam, but I'm just saying there are systems in our, in our world, there are systems in existence that, that impact one another. So if you're a group of people and you monopolize the essential resources, whether that be of a particular industry or of the planet and of mankind writ large, once you, once you have a firm grasp on that monopoly, you have the power to incentivize people away from their moral, ethical, and some would say biblical faith and principles. You have that power. That's why Jesus went into the temple and turned the tables over on the money changers all throughout the Bible. You barely saw Jesus get out of character. He got out of character with the leaders of the temple because the leaders of the temple had the power, the institutional power to mislead people away from righteousness and, and mercy and grace and, and God, God's love. Right? So there is a higher degree of severity placed upon institutions, which is why leadership is so important and the crisis of leadership is so profound and the result that we see is so obvious. Yes, black people have, have let themselves be used, but that doesn't excuse the, the the predators that 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 exploited either. The Leor Cohens of the world and the and the Larry Finks of the world and, and it's not just Jews. I don't have to just say Jews, because there's black bourgeoisie sellouts that did it to ourselves as well. And they're more part of that elite omnisexual class than the black man who lives, you know, and, and works a, a nine to five and then and then Ubers in his downtime to make ends meet. Those two people are completely different. And the scam that they're linked by skin color. Is one that still perplexes, you know, vexes me at night. You're nothing like Tyler Perry. I don't care how many black movies Tyler Perry makes, you are nothing like Tyler Perry off of the simple fact that your skin color is the same. This guy is a wine society upper, upper elite, all access, bourgeois sellout.
1: I certainly Agree with that. And I certainly think w- when I think about the complaints about, hey, well, they run the entertainment industry and blah, blah, blah. And and sometimes I, I fall into that trap. But at the end of the day, I evaluate myself and my own actions. It's like, well, hold on. They laid that same trap for me. And I did. I said, no, I, I'm good. I, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm just not going to do anything and say anything. I'm not going to accept the role Uh, that you want to carve out for me. And if that means me not getting a biggest piece of the chicken or a biggest slice of the pie as people that do, I'm going to live with that because, because again, I'm just, and that's not me trying to put myself on any pedestal, but, but I do want to take responsibility for myself and what I allow myself to get caught up in. And, and too often Uh, because again, I look at the Oprah Winfrey's of the world, I look at even a Tyler Perry, LeBron, Michael Jordan, we have enough resources and people with resources to do our own and be self-sufficient and not dependent on some other group. Yeah.
2: Trillion dollars a year. Trillion dollars a year consumer base.
1: That's where I would say some of our animus uh towards the jews that run the entertainment industry is just misplaced and misguided you, you you don't have to go that route you you don't have to do that but too many of us uh it the, the easy way and and but where now i'm gonna speak out of both sides of my mouth but i i just i look <laughs> at the people that get rewarded Mm-hmm. and get the checks cut and get put on platforms. Mm-hmm. And and I look at someone, I'm going to say someone dangerous here, but it's just what I think. I look at someone like Birdman. What else is he going to do? He, he's a depraved criminal idiot. He's got no other, he's not going to Wall Street. He's not going to start his own legitimate business or or, or, or whatever. He's not going to take the tattoos off his face. He's not, any of that stuff. And I, I look at, across the board and a lot of these guys that they put on and and make the leaders or whatever, and I'm like, they take people that have no options, install them in prominent positions, and then tell the edu- educated blacks, you gotta be more like them if you wanna get ahead. And and I see too many people falling for that okey-doke and falling for that trap. And, and this is where I, I'll give Dave Chappelle credit he could be making a lot more money if he would crack the jokes that they wanted him to crack. He, he he could be he'd probably be the host of the biggest nighttime talk show in the history of America if he'd just get on script and always say Hart. what they want him to say.
2: He'd be he'd be Kevin Hart. Better than Kevin or Hart because he's big, smarter yeah. than Kevin Hart. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. But but you know I, I'm saying he he'd have he'd be. You know what, Arsenio Hall, or even bigger than what Arsenio Hall was, but but he won't say what is demanded to be said, and so he's taking less money. He's making a lot of money, but Mm. you know he ran away from the Comedy Central fifty million dollar contract because you know he didn't want to put a dress on and he didn't want to be beholden to him. So hats off to Dave Chappelle. Uh, I think maybe I've gotten us in enough trouble. (laughs) got myself in enough trouble, but I just feel like this is an issue that has to be well, discussed. You know, the, the, uh, but, because, but,
2: you know, let, go, let, let's just be, let's just be, honest. well, let me get into trouble then. And, you know, I, I'll take it back yeah. to what we're dealing with now because we're on our way to, we're on our way to a world war. So whether people are going to get in trouble or whether, look, you can go hide wherever, and I'm talk, not talking about you, but I'm talking about the, the millions yep. of American citizens who are affected by this. You can go hide. Look, the high is good. I get it. The Netflix is good. The Dave Chappelle is good. The NBA basketball is good. Oh, let's all go watch the, 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 the Phenom Wimby or, or whatever, whatever you're watching. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're watching videos of, uh, of guys doing parkour on, on uh, 100-foot story uh, skyscrapers. I don't know what people are doing these days, to be quite honest with you. I'm reading the best and the brightest. I'm going back and trying to fit, find the best intellectual material I can to, to, to actually represent the interests of the American people, whether they're ready to represent their own interests or not. So, so you can do whatever you want to do, but we're going towards World War III right now. Like right now, today, by the end of the day, we may be full blown in it. And, and so, you know, w- w- all of your pre all of your prejudgments, uh, all of not you, anybody out there, all of your prejudgments, all of your your opinions, all of the formerly held uh, positions of, of your little political enclave, uh, whether that be on the left or the right, all of it's going to be challenged now. And, 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 you know, just to go back to the Israel thing, like, like I said, I don't know how we get in trouble. Obviously, anti-Semit, anti-Semitism is the is the caution line. And I already said Israel is legitimate on a political basis because they want a war for it. If I got to say more than that, it kind of tells you what the what the bias is uh, around the issue. And, and it's what Dave Chappelle said. Why are there people that we can't discuss? Why can I say the N word with impunity, but I can't say the F word about homosexuals? These questions are becoming so blatantly uh, contradictory and and incoherent that it's actually creating the animus. So that's what I wanted to say. The contradiction, what Israel represents right now on the world stage in this conflict is a basic contradiction of, of first principles and logic that has become so visible that even your low level, I can't read past a fifth grade novel, I can't read past the fifth grade is starting to see how ridiculous it is. Over the past 60 years, maybe not so much. They didn't see it. But now that social media has given everybody a window into the conflict and the narrative, um, people are, are, are starting to get, get wise to it, and they're starting to ask questions, and they're starting to feel cheated, right? And, and like I said, look, what, what Hamas did, who would, who would condone that? I mean, it's ridiculous. Nobody, nobody does condone that. I don't, I don't think if you condone that, you're probably you know, uh, already a cast out from society wherever you are. But the question now is for American citizens in response, uh, we're going to we're going to level Gaza. We're going to turn it into a parking lot. And our and our hostages are still there or 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 you're going to tell me that the intelligence failed in one of the most protected places in the whole world. The intelligence failed. And now you have the counterintelligence to be able to go precisely identify and locate these Hamas terrorists. I mean, you could run that stuff on somebody who watches, who watches David Letterman back in the day. I'm a 90s baby, so David Letterman was on. Uh, you could tell that to somebody who watches Trevor Noah or somebody who watches Sean Hannity, for example. You can't tell that to nobody who watches Steve Bannon. You can't tell that to nobody who's been watching Alex Jones for 25 years. You mean to tell me the intelligence and the most protected nation in the world was dark, And all of a sudden, when we go back to Counter-Strike, we have high-level intelligence to precisely locate the specific people we want to? No. No, you're going to go cleanse Palestine and Gaza because you think it's your right. And many people are making the case that it's their right. And all I have to say to it is, don't do it in our name. Don't put the Americans into it. You could take China, you could take China, Allegiant Joe Biden and his administration. You could take the rhinos and you can do it on their name. But us America firsters, us Trumpers us no more never war citizens, we don't, look, on the record, you're not doing it in our name, not doing it in my name. You're not gonna use blacks and Jews to create a formal one party rule there in the, in the House of Representatives and the Congress. That's what Hakeem Jeffries is doing right now. Let's put up the Negro, the black, and give him power and let him tell the narrative that we have to suppress the rights of minorities imagine putting a black man up in the united states congress as the first black man to be speaker and have him promote on msnbc that they should change the rules of the congress to suppress the rights of the minority imagine that and oh well, and, and oh, King Jeffries
1: isn't he's not the speaker tom emmer, no,
2: no. emmer but they're is, putting him up as no no but my point is no the referendum right now is by the rhinos either you give either you give us emmer or we'll make you give or we'll make you deal with jeffries that's the that's the ultimatum right now there behind closed doors in dc either you give us uniparty emmer or you have to deal with jeffries and and my point is whether jeffries gets the speakership or not is not the point the point is is that jeffries was sponsored as speaker and his first his first mention was Let's change the rules so that these extremists can't hold up business as usual. And what is that business? It's the same business it's been since 1950. We got to get a big military so we can always protect the Jews from radical Muslims. And these conservatives all across the country chew it up like bubble gum. I'm scared of Muslims. I'm scared of Muslims. The radical Islam is coming. Why are you scared of Muslims when your founding fathers gave you the Second Amendment? There's not a fiber in my body that's afraid of Muslims. Why? I carry a nine millimeter with hollow rounds. Show me a Muslim man that could take seven hollow rounds to the chest and survive. I'll show you somebody who's not human. I'll show you a robot clone wearing Muslim skin because there's nobody who can do it. Show me a Muslim man that could take two hollows to the head. They can't do it. So the same people who promote the Second Amendment, small little enclave, come together to say, Islam is so terrifying. It has such a dangerous uh, ability to reach us here in America that we need to we need to spend money we don't have to go protect a nation we can't even protect in the end. If the entire Arab and Muslim world rises up, can we really save Israel? If if what we've put into Israel thus far, if what Israel has today, couldn't sufficiently protect them from a a a, a, a basically a a riverside street gang there in Gaza? If they, if they don't have enough intelligence to stop that from happening, what happens when Syria and, and Iran and, and Jordan and, and Egypt and all of them rise up at the same time? What are we going to do then? Are we going to bomb and kill the entire Arab and Muslim world in defense of this nation? I mean, what's the plan? Remember they said, what's the plan? You tell us the plan now. Tell the American people how do we win a war against a billion Muslims or, or uh, half a billion Muslims there in, in, in the Middle East. Tell us. Be frank. Come clean. Emmer, Hakeem Jeffries, and it's on both sides of the aisle. Sean Hannity, come clean. Tell us how we're going to win this war. They don't have a plan. Their plan is the same plan it's always been. Take our money, fight a war, let the military-industrial complex get their rocks off, get their piece of the pie. Then they take that same money into the Arab nations and find the sellouts and pay them to keep the peace. And then they tell us that there's a Muslim alliance. There is no Muslim alliance. It's a fallacy. These Muslim and Arab nations have had sellouts at the top of those regimes since the 19th, since the whole deal was done. You know how I know? They killed the Saddam Hussein, unlawful, unconstitutional by the United Nations Charter. They killed uh, uh, Gaddafi, unconstitutional by the United Nations Charter. I'm not saying they were good people, but they had no right to kill those, those two, especially when we funded them and put them in place, completely immoral. Did the, Arab, did the Arab world rise up then? Did the Arab nation states rise up then? No, they didn't. They were taking handsome, sweet payouts. They sat back, they watched, they let the, 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 the crisis fester, bubble up, and then they put their pitch in. Hey, you know what? We'll take this in exchange for not, not showing allegiance to our Muslim identity group. Riyadh, the crown jewel of Europe, the crown jewel of the fourth industrial revolution is going to be Riyadh. You think it's going to be Riyadh because what, they have some, some affection for Mecca and Medina. You think it's going to be Riyadh because they, they want to include Muslims. No, it's going to be Riyadh because they're cutting a deal with the Saudis for the oil. And they're going to tell self-loathing, self-hating white folks in the West that they need to reduce their, their freedom of movement. Cause we don't have the same energy resources we once did on the planet. Meanwhile, Europe and, and, and the rest of the, the I mean, come on. It's just a scam. And you, you could say that I'm, you know, it ain't that deep or or I'm going off into a tangent. Check the check the receipts. Everything I'm saying, you could slow down and go check it. Is the Crown Jewel in Riyadh? Is the first line city going to be in Riyadh? Whose idea was it? Mohammed bin Salman's? No, he was educated at Oxford. The Crown, the intellectual to do, you you see what I'm saying? Is it clicking yet? The whole thing is a scam. QE Bono, who benefits?
1: Royce, thank you. You've given us a lot to think about, a lot to talk about. I appreciate it. We'll see you later this week. Uh, That's Royce White. (laughs) I wanted to talk about uh, blacks and Jews, and we did. And Royce said a mouthful. He's given us a lot to think about. Uh, Steve Kim's going to join us uh, around the corner. I want to make sure that you guys know Uh, You're invited on November 2nd for our fearless cookout gold jacket addiction. Uh, We have four NFL Hall of Famers, Brett Favre, Warren Sapp, Marshall Falk, Brian Urlacher. They'll be here with us live in studio on November 2nd for our special cookout show. Uh, You can attend as well. Go to fearlessarmytickets.com. That's fearlessarmytickets.com. If you'd like to buy a ticket, be here for the taping, hang out with some Hall of Famers, and me, uh, FearlessArmyTickets.com. Don't forget to hit the likes. If you're listening over Apple, give us that five-star review, write a review, Steve Kim, the Korean co sell. Next. We wanna
0: go to heaven with freedom. It's my no hate discrimination up your hands for freedom.
1: Warren Sab, previously on Fearless. There's a rumor that he thinks he can leverage an NFL team into giving him an ownership stake in the team. <laughs> uh, that, that he, he's floating that out there that he wants an ownership stake in a team to whoever drafts him. Wait,
0: wait, wait, think wait. Think this wait. will happen? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. This wasn't this, wasn't this the same fella just last week that says if a right team is not in the number one position, he'll go back to college because he'll be taking a pay cut to go to that team, right? Yes. Did I did I hear that correctly, or you know, not because I, you know, I don't have a producer and whole close. team, that's, something that's like close. that, right? Something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now yes. I know one NFL player who now owns. A piece of an NFL team and his name is work done does Caleb Williams have a story like work done and does what work done did for his whole time in the National Football League giving single moms a new home Caleb that's what you have to no, have he so. do, you have to have a, a, he does a very, paint his very yeah yeah I know and put in Utah on it and got his ass whooped by Utah and all this stuff yeah I, I got it I, I got it this is Hollywood where they make up a lot of wild stories Son, get in the reality world. Warwick Dunn owns 1% of the Atlanta Falcons because Arthur Bank just gifted it to him because if you know Warwick like I do, Warwick is the salt of the earth and no better representation of an organization than a, a, a good man and a, and a great ambassador for a franchise. That's who owns a piece of a team.
1: All right. Welcome back. Make sure you keep hitting the likes. Make sure if you're listening over Apple, you're giving us that five-star review. Help us fight the algorithms. You need to be writing a review. It's a small thing you can do to help us fight the algorithm and make this show more popular. All right. Time for some Korean Cosell. Steve Kim, uh, welcome back to the show. Big uh, Monday night football game last night. San Francisco 49ers get upset by the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Really throwing everything up into upheaval because I I went into last night's game thinking the 49ers were the best team in football. I'm now not so sure. I'm not overreacting to that, but, you know, because... Some things, some few things could have went differently and they could have won that game. Uh, But, Steve, I wanted us to both talk about who our top five teams are in the the NFL right now. I don't think there's any great team. There's no team I would bet my life savings on. It's like definitely going to be in the Super Bowl or definitely going to win the Super Bowl. I I think there's some good teams in the NFL, no great team. Here's my top five, and I want to compare it to yours. I've got the Kansas City Chiefs. As the best team in football, they're six and one. I still, despite the loss last night, I've only dropped San Francisco one spot to number two. I think they're better than the Philadelphia Eagles, who are six and one, like the Kansas City Chiefs. I've moved Baltimore back into my top five at number four after they manhandled the Detroit Lions. And I have the high scoring, high flying Miami Dolphins at number five. What say you, Korean Cosell, to my top five?
3: Um, we pretty much have the same teams, except our number five's a little bit different, and I know I'm going to take a lot of heat for it. Uh, the Niners are interesting. It's clear to me that offense needs Debo Samuels. I know everyone's going to talk about Brock Purdy, and look, the early fumble by McCaffrey did not help things. But what was really disappointing to me, and again, this is where the quarterback gets so much heat, and he did throw a couple of interceptions late in that game. But Jason, I expected better from the Niners' defense. They got carved up without the Vikings' best receiver, uh, Jefferson, and they had no answer for Jordan Addison. And it was one of those moments where you kind of appreciate Kirk's third cousins. He's not great. He's not elite. I get it. He struggles generally in prime time no real playoff success, but he's a skilled quarterback. I mean, he's he's either the best of the mediocre or he's the mediocre of the very best. But generally, look at his track record. He puts up good numbers, his teams win, and then everyone gets to go golfing in January or Cancun. All right, but still, he gets you to a certain (laughs) place. But last night, he was decisive in that pocket, and I kept waiting For Bosa, and the rest of that pass rush to finally get home and turn the game around, and it never happened, Jason.
1: That is the missing element, is that Nick Bosa did not have a huge impact on that game, either with QB hurries or QB hits. That's what surprised me. But at the end of the day, they gave up 22 points. It's not like they gave up 30-some-odd points to the Vikings they did enough on defense to win. They didn't do nearly enough on offense. But, but I, I'm not convinced that the 49ers took a real step back. Your 17-game your schedule, the way the NFL is, teams are going to be a bit more inconsistent. And so I, I'm just not really down on the 49ers. But I see, Steve, you have the Philadelphia Eagles yes. as the best team in football. There is a team that I think is called the Defending World Champions who I believe, if memory serves me, didn't they beat Philadelphia the last time they played each other? I just don't see how the Defending World Champions have the same record as the Philadelphia Eagles. The last time they played, the Defending Champions beat the Eagles.
3: Make it make sense. Why are the Eagles better than the Chiefs? Oh, what is this like boxing, where you carry your title into the next fight? No, 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 no. As soon as that last, as soon as that last penalty that always seems to go the way of the Chiefs is thrown, and then they kick the field goal and they win the game, it's over. It's over. And then you whoa, don't whoa, whoa. Whoa, I, whoa! Yeah, I said you that. just
1: reference penalties. Yesterday. Yes, I did. You just reference penalties yeah. when the Philadelphia Eagles – did you see them against the Dolphins? Where what the referees a, were in the a, tank for the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Eagles had zero penalties, and the Dolphins had ten. Uh, I, I, I thought Philadelphia this weekend benefited from some very friendly officiating, and and I I just don't see how you. I haven't you know Jalen Hurts looked good this past week, but hasn't looked great all season. Uh, one guy, there's the defending world champions that I think have the reigning MVP, he's the leading candidate for MVP this season. Again, just uh, make it make sense. Andy Uh, Reid, one of the premier coaches in the league, I get the Sirianni guy is a promising young guy, but man, I'm just having a hard time figuring out how Philadelphia
3: is better than the Chiefs. You know, that Nick Sirianni, that is disciplined football that he preaches and it's just played out in error-free football. I got to tell you, Vince Lombardi would be proud. He'd, look, he'd be looking down and just like giving a nod, you know? And while Lombardi had the power sweep, they have the brotherly shove. So they literally get to play every series. <laughs> and someone pointed this out. I, I think it was uh, Zach Smith and Chris Drew. They begin every series first to nine. Think about what's in their back pocket. All they have to do is, like, hey, guys, first three downs, we get nine yards. Don't worry about it. We're moving those chains. Uh, they're a strong physical unit. Look, no team is ever the same from one to another. There's way too much player movement. But I look at the Eagles. I think they're better on the outside. I think they're as physical as anybody. And they have a upper management that is not afraid to make moves. Now, look, I don't know what Julio Jones and Kevin Bayard – you can argue that they're a little bit past their prime, but they're there to play specific roles. And you look at the Eagles' pass defense the last three, four weeks, it is greatly improved. They had some issues on the back end. But again, Jason, we are talking about who we think is the best in week eight. That's like caring about who was leading the Boston Marathon in the 13th mile, okay? Because at the end, it's always going to be some Kenyan with no shoes. They're just going to bounce away and just run. You know, win by a couple miles. But right now, we are talking about about mile fourteen. We haven't even hit Heartbreak Hill yet on the NFL season. Uh, okay. Uh, i
1: am I'm gonna call you R G Kim. Oh, God. You got Baltimore's the third best team. You got you're buying all of the Lamar Jackson hype. Is that right? You got Not Baltimore Lamar is now better than San Francisco.
3: Again, we're just going week to week where we stand right now. And yeah. Lamar Jackson is getting that ball out early. I said a couple weeks ago, let's give this Monkin thing a couple of weeks to develop. Jason, I'm kind of impressed. I really like what Lamar Jackson is doing, getting the ball out. Look, there's going to be some hero ball because Lamar is going to be Lamar. But for the most part, that offense is running pretty efficiently. They play very hard and tough defensively, which is their tradition. So, uh, again, I have a question. So, in a big game, if it came down to the Niners and the Ravens, which quarterback do you like, Lamar or Brock Purdy? Which one? Uh-huh. It's a
1: tough question, but I would have to say Lamar Jackson. I, would, I mean, Lamar's got an MVP. Lamar, if the passing breaks down, Lamar can make things happen with his legs. And so I'd have to say Lamar Jackson. H- however, you, you just transitioned us in a nice segue into what do we make of Brock Purdy based off last night? Those two interceptions in the fourth quarter were not good, uh, well, and it wasn't some hail mary that got picked off. I mean, those were two legitimate uh, interceptions. I thought for three quarters, to be honest with you, despite them not being able to get points, I thought he played really well and and looked efficient and sharp and then in the fourth quarter you know he threw two really bad balls that ended up costing him any chance at winning what's your reaction to wh- where are you at on Brock Purdy right now
3: I think he's solid look let's go through those two interceptions the first one you know I would like to ask coach JB because that wide receiver seemed awfully slow getting out of his cut and it also it may have been an overthrow so we need the more educated eye to tell us was that a bad throw or a bad route or just bad timing okay okay The second one, I'm going to defend them a little bit. Jason, they had no timeouts, okay? And you had less than a minute to go. And I remember after the first couple of plays, the worst play you can make in football is any short throw in that situation with no timeouts. He had to hit a shot deep. Was it a Hail Mary? No, but was it kind of a desperation, high-risk throw that you needed to take to get inside the 20? Yes. And because a lot of that is because the defense could not get off the field sooner. I mean, complementary football, offense helps defense, defense helps offense. But I still think Purdy, with all the weapons, is a solid, serviceable guy that can play point guard.
1: Uh, Steve, they're comparing this guy to some degree to uh, Tom Brady. And you're, you know, when you're getting compared to Tom Brady, and yeah. in this NFL where it's a two hand touch league, you can't touch the quarterback, you know. They're paying you to move the ball in the final seconds without any timeouts. We've seen Tom Brady do it a million times. We saw Peyton Manning and Dan Marino. And, you know, again, I'm not comparing Purdy to all these all-time greats, but, you know, that was the trajectory. I think before two weeks ago, or maybe even going into this week, Brock Purdy was the leading candidate for MVP, and he's taken a step back. I still like him as well, but I'm now a bit concerned, crunch time, fourth quarter, not sharp last night.
3: No, he wasn't. But again, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint, and people are going to say, well, Brock Purdy's now lost two games in a row. But again, if they had a kicker that could make a relatively – Should have won last week. Yeah. A kick that was not exactly 65 yards, we'd be saying, man, Brock Purdy, man, he's still just a one-loss quarterback – And he did the job at Cleveland against this really good defense. So, again, we have to look at the whole scope of things. I think Brock has some really good intangibles. But in terms of overall arm strength, there are some limitations physically. And and that is where Shanahan has to scheme this up. But, again, we're also looking at a fact that I think Debo Samuels is just a central component. For all the credit that McCaffrey gets... I'm just telling you, Debo does so much for that offense, both in the run game and outside.
1: Well, one team was missing Justin Jefferson. And the other yep. team was missing Debo Samuels. Most people think Justin Jefferson better than Debo. But, uh, Steve, great job. Thank you, as always. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, that's Steve Kim, the and Cosell. Uh, don't go anywhere. I've got a fire starter uh, that you'll want to hear. Thanks. Warren Sab, previously on Fearless. Do you have a theory on why offenses seem to be struggling? They don't want to work.
0: They don't want to practice. It's that simple. I mean, you go to an NFL training camp and you almost like the old uh, Wendy's commercial, where's the beef? Ain't, no, ain't nothing going on around here. I mean, where's the beef? Where's the work being done? Where's the one-on-one? Where's the, you know, after practice, jugs, machines, the different things that, you know, we put in during a week of work to go out and showcase our talent. It's just not being done right now in the National Football League.
1: The highest and most impactful form of communication is the written word. I believe that for most of my life. God's decision to release the Bible in written form rather than video or audio justifies my assertion. He breathed mankind into existence and when we completely lost our way, he chose to guide, inform and encourage us with words on a page. Doubting the power of written text is to doubt the creator of our inalienable rights. Thomas Jefferson, this nation's most profound founding father recognize the power and importance of writing and reading. Jefferson said in 1787, the basis of our governments being the opinion of the people, the very first object should be to keep that right. And were it left to me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without government, I should not hesitate a moment to prefer the latter. But I should mean that every man should receive those papers and be capable of reading them. That's Thomas Jefferson. The enemies of American freedom and founding principles have used big tech to de-emphasize the written word, amplify the power of video and manipulate language to distort foundational truth and dumb down our citizenry. The pervasive chaos, perversion and corruption you see overrunning America are directly tied to the assault on the written word and newspapers. The information war is a dispute over language and access to truth. Through its relationship with big tech, the secular left controls the distribution and reach of accurate information. I'm telling you what you already know. You've seen Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and the newspapers that rely on these platforms disappear the Hunter Biden laptop story. We all suffered the consequences after the same cabal magnified the drug-induced death of George Floyd to trigger massive sustained violent unrest across the country. The same group has defined half of this country's citizens as potential domestic terrorists and plotters of an indirection. At some point, we have to do more than complain. We have to take bold steps to end our dependence on platforms that openly despise our worldview and values. Today, The Blaze is taking a bold step. We're relaunching our website, theblaze.com, and freeing it from internet advertising. This is far more important than it sounds. When publishers like The Blaze host ads on their website, Google and other major ad exchanges use bots to scan stories for content they deem unsafe for advertisers. When an article is deemed unsafe, Google then demands that the advertisements be removed and threaten to demonetize the entire website. If we refuse to back down, Google then uses its algorithms to bury the story. So just imagine Steve Dace writing a piece at the height of the COVID pandemic, explaining the stupidity of masks and experimental medical trials labeled as vaccines. That story has no chance of reaching a wide audience. Google and Facebook won't allow it. Here's another hypothetical. Imagine me writing a column explaining from a biblical point of view why transgenderism is a front to God. That story would be considered unsafe for advertisers. Google and Facebook would do everything in their algorithmic power to prevent people from reading it. Big tech is pressuring publishers and content creators to adopt a secular worldview for financial and or relevance success. I started writing opinion pieces in 1992 when I took a job at the Ann Arbor News. On every platform, whether it be the Ann Arbor News, the Kansas City Star, ESPN.com, FoxSports.com, AOLSports.com, J.School, and OutKick, my columns never had a problem reaching a wide audience. I've written my most consistently profound and impactful pieces in the last three years writing for The Blaze. At the same time, big tech has turned up the algorithmic headwind against my work. When you Google my name, it's easier to find pieces I wrote about Kobe Bryant 20 years ago than anything I wrote last week. What I say about Black Lives Matter, Deion Sanders, Megan Rapinoe, The murder of Tyree Nichols, Stephen A. Smith, Josh Allen, and Colin Kaepernick will go viral. What I write about the exact same subjects has a much harder time reaching the masses. Big tech and the left control the written word. They realize it's important. Do we? The blaze is going to take a significant financial hit disconnecting from the major ad agencies. We're also adding additional staff to fortify the site and create more original content. It's a high-risk move. It's a move I support. I would rather write in support of God's truth for less money into a small remnant than write compromised lies to a wider audience for more money. I don't wanna be popular. I wanna be saved, and I wanna save the freedoms our ancestors fought, died, and sacrificed for against forces just as wicked as the enemy we face today. We need you in this fight with us. You're going to love the newblaze.com. It looks far better. It's much easier to read and navigate without all the distracting advertisements. We need your direct support to pull this off successfully. If you haven't already signed up for a general blaze subscription and blaze news, do so immediately support the written word, support the form of communication that saves souls and can save our republic. That's it for today's show. We'll play tomorrow and we'll see you tomorrow.
0: Like freedom Came like a fighter Striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just want to have freedom Fitting on the corner, never been alone i my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all when We all want to be free We want
1: freedom